When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Good afternoon, everybody. Uneducated economist. Got special guest Mike with us today. Now, Mike was in the um, was quoted in the Bloomberg article that we had discussed about how uh, building materials are moving backwards through the supply chain. So I thought I would I thought to kind of help explain what it is that's going on here. Mike, why don't you introduce yourself and uh, introduce uh, materials exchange? So, uh, hi, thank you so much, Simon, for having me. I'm excited about this. Uh, one of my favorite things to talk about, lumber and supply chain. Uh, I'm not sure what that says about my personality, but uh, we'll have some fun. Um, okay, so materials exchange is simply business-to-business e-commerce uh, or a business-to-business e-commerce platform. The unique thing about us is that the user interface has the look and feel and functionality of a financial marketplace. Um, so why we put these two uh, business models together is that lumber and uh, structural wood panels are a commodity and the price moves around as, as we found out in dramatic fashions this year. So um, it's important to have both sides of the supply demand curve uh, represented on a single platform for it to operate most efficiently. Mm -hmm. so, and so what would, uh, just kind of give me an example of like, what would a transaction or what would like, um, like a business um, situation be with like you? What would happen? Um, so first, uh, we should define who can who we have on our platform. Um, to be on the platform, you simply need to be able to buy a minimum of a full truckload, which would be a semi-load of lumber, and be a consistent part purchaser. So are we selling to home buyers? No, because they're coming in one time and done. Um, our cost to just get someone into the system is much higher than we'd ever make off of that person. So... Um, who is included in that on the buy side? You have, of course, lumber dealers, lumber yards. We have other wholesale distributors on there. We have large builders. Um, we have industrial distributors and industrial users, you know, like guys that would build pallets or boxes. Um, on the sell side, it's distributors. It, it right, mill direct uh, product, stuff that's coming directly from, you know, the producing factory or producing facility. Um, and what this article, from Bloomberg highlighted and what you've you know also touched on, seller or lumber dealers are also selling into the platform. Very interesting. So let's kind of step it back just a little bit. Tell us what typically like a supply chain for lumber would be like. Like I'm, I work in the Pacific Northwest. I see log trucks, I have mills here. Now I see the log trucks go to the mills and then the mill produces and I see that lumber going on a truck headed back to Portland. What's going on? Where does that lumber go? What's What would a typical supply chain like look like for lumber? I know it's kind of, you know, it's a broad topic, but you know, kind of give us an idea of what somebody would expect like lumber to kind of transfer through the supply chain look like. I, I think the most important thing when you start considering the lumber supply chain is the mass, so when I say mass, I'm talking about just actual fiber, heavy, big product lumber is, lumber and logs. It's very expensive to move that around. And you can't move that much around at one time because it's so heavy, right? So 
the traditional supply chain is one such that the wood moves the shortest possible distance to minimize the logistics cost. And that will maximize the return for both the producing facility and who's ever buying it, you know, the end user. Um, now, of course, we don't produce lumber everywhere that it's used. So it will start to move these further distances and then they traditionally use rail. So uh, a lot of the, you know, probably, I don't really know the exact number, but I'm gonna say at least half of all lumber leaves its producing facility by rail and moves to a distribution point. So in Portland, you know, that area, it's mostly truck, cause you're right, you live in the middle of the trees, really. Mm -hmm. But for instance, in Chicago, where I'm at, it's almost all railed here either from the Pacific Northwest or Western Canada or Eastern Canada and actually Southern Yellow Pine gets railed up to here. Um, so then you start and then Chicago becomes a distribution hub and the wood gets shipped via truck out of uh, our distribution, hub, uh, out of Chicago as a distribution hub. The next stop on that chain is typically a lumber dealer who is going to package it into a much smaller um, unit and it's going to be specialized for a project like a house or you know a remodel. So that's where where your company would come in, and uh, you know you're selling a service, and that service you're selling is the fact that you're going to take in large quantities, break them down into small usable quantities, and deliver them to the job site. So let's just talk about the you know highlight what I just said about the Chicago market. A lumber mill in the Pacific Northwest puts it on a rail car, ships it to a distri distributor in Chicago who breaks it down into smaller but stays that normal unit that comes out of the producing facility, ships it to a lumber dealer who breaks that unit open and repackages it into a job pack for the job site. So it's... Yeah. So it's pretty, I mean, pretty straightforward how it kind of goes. I mean, it's just a, a matter of kind of distributing it from the, from the locations of where it's at to the places that it's not located. Like my, me in the Pacific Northwest, it's pretty like prevalent, like lumber seems to be everywhere um, as far as like the logging and, you know, the distribution of it goes, but still we order it from Portland, just like anybody else would to come to my place. Now we can go to the mill and order it from them, but really we get a better price going from somebody else who is buying bulk of it than going and buying a small, small individual units, which they really don't like to sell anyway. Exactly, so, exactly. right. So it's more of like, you know, this distribution going through these hubs. Now those hubs, they can end up being quite large as far as, you know, the distribution of these, of the lumber goes. So like one of the videos that I have put out recently is because people were talking about the lumber shortage is I went down to the local mill here and I took a footage of it and it was stacked with lumber, right? They had lumber everywhere. Yep. So I'm like, okay, well, obviously it's not like these guys are shorting like production. They're producing as much as they can. I mean, the yard's completely full. Right? And then I got a lot of pictures and videos and a lot of people were also showing this like all over the nation. They're showing like these major stacks of lumber just kind of all over different parts of the nation. And they're saying like, look, there's no shortage of lumber. And I thought, well, this is more of a distribution issue than it is an actual, like, you know, you can go to one spot and see a lot of lumber, but that isn't necessarily what's going on across the entire nation with it. Because we had a supply chain breakdown. Now tell us about that. What happened during that supply chain breakdown? Um, so in the supply chain breakdown, people made decisions based off of the information they had at that moment in time. So we're going to 
back up 12 months. Our country is in a pandemic. The stock market is crashing. Um, nobody knew what to do. And what people do in times of uncertainty is they freeze and they protect what they have. That's exactly what the manufacturers did. They were basically instructed that you run your facility, more than likely everybody's gonna get COVID and you're gonna have a big problem. So they, they shut down and there was nothing wrong with that decision. I mean, it probably was the right decision at that time given the information that was out. What we didn't forecast is people get bored really quickly sitting at home. And then the majority, I'm, you know, most people continue to get paid and still had money. So now they're not going on vacation. They're not going out to eat. They're not spending money and they're stuck at their house and they're sick of that deck and they need something to do. So they go out and start doing projects. So this um, spurred what was the first wave that was blind to the mills and to most people in the supply chain. It's the repair and remodel wave. And I say it's blind because there's no way to measure it. We can look at housing starts. Wow, that's new house, new home construction. We can make assumptions off of existing home sales, but there's no, the only real glimpse you get into the repair remodel is to take a look at how Home Depot and Lowe's are doing. And when you see their numbers really taken off and you, you know, listen to their earnings reports, you'll find out, oh yeah, <laughs> wow, Q2 of 2020 was a blowout year for them. So now the, everyone was nervous. So they reduced supply, they reduced inventory, Inventory's flying out the door at the uh, big box stores. And then people are like, well, I guess I got to leave the city. So then there's this, the next wave that wasn't as blind, but it hit the market without enough time to react. It was a complete reversal. At, prior to you know, March of 2020, there was a urban, uh, people were moving to the cities away from the suburbs. All of a sudden pandemic hits, urban flight, complete reversal, not enough homes in the suburbs, too many condos and apartments. I just talked to a friend of mine who sold his condo. It took him a year to sell his condo here in Chicago. Wow. And he had two people look at it in a year. Wow. Now, you talk to people in the suburbs, they sell their house in 36 hours and have like six people looking at it. <laughs> so you had the, the combination of factors the of... Um, the, what the pandemic put in, the first blind wave, the second wave that was never anticipated, and you get this supply shortage. Like we're using more than we're producing. But what you said spot on, there's a lot of lumber out there. It's just all sold. It's all accounted for already. So it's, it, we're just using more wood than can be produced. Um, what I found fascinating about this was the inelasticity of supply. Meaning, you know, normal economics, prices go up, more supply should go on, demand should go down. Well, in this case, the prices went up and it actually started to increase demand because people started to race it. So, and supply just wasn't elastic, meaning it didn't increase. It didn't change. Um, so then I'm like, okay, that, that kind of makes sense. Supply is going to take a little bit of time to come to the market. I fully thought by... Right now, this whole uh, price thing would have worked itself out, but it, it wasn't elastic enough. And then demand, they just didn't care. Like, 
And Stinson Dean, a, a friend of mine, made a good point. He's like, you go to a home guy who's going to buy a house. The house is $250,000. The price goes up by $25,000 because of lumber costs. Now it's two seventy-five. dollars Does he really care? No, he, he's getting out of the city. He's getting into a new home. It, it didn't affect him that much. You take a $25,000 increase in the price of a house and you um, amortize that over a 30-year mortgage, I, I don't know what the number is, but it's what, maybe 50 bucks a month. Yeah, pennies a day, really. Right. So that that surprised me. Uh, I guess I didn't look at it deep enough, but demand wasn't inelastic. So what has happened is the supply chain, the information didn't flow fast enough. The decisions weren't made. The right decisions weren't made quick enough. And we just got behind the curve. And then we discovered the inelasticity in our market. What has to happen is we have to get to the price point that it starts to make economic sense to not build. And I think that is going to occur more for the um, multifamily, the investment type properties where they have money they want to put to work. But they're like, you know what, why don't I just wait six months and see if I can save some money? Because to them, they're not amortizing it over a 30-year period. They're trying to flip that property probably in two or three years. So if it matters to them more. Does that make sense? Yes, it absolutely does. You know, something that um, that you were just saying there about the elasticity of the, uh, of the supply chain. You know, I was putting out videos prior to uh, 2020 prior to the COVID, it was the end of 2019. And uh, I was talking about a lot of mill curtailments, shutdowns and shortages taking place up in the British Columbia area. And uh, shortly after that COVID hit. And if it's the elasticity, the production of the lumber that is the problem right now, that production line doesn't, doesn't seem to be coming back. Like, I don't think that British Columbia, the, I mean, I know they still produce a lot up there, but did that like really kind of throw the monkey wrench into the supply chain after, or I mean, along with the COVID? I mean, yeah, it's, um, it's crazy to think this, but it really was the downturn in 2008, 2009, 2010. That's causing what we have today. Yeah. Right. Because it was a fundamental change in the entire industry where production was taken off and they, um, previously, the, the mills had a little bit more flexibility in how much they their production. They would probably be running closer to 80, 85%. Well, we came back from that downturn and it was just, everything was just so flat that they got their production dialed in just perfect to like 95% probably. Um, and the reason they didn't put any more production on in, in British Columbia is because the fiber basket in when I say fiber basket, the price of logs in Southeast United States is the cheapest there is in the world, basically right now. Right. Um, now, it's not exactly the same product and it's not a product that everybody may want, but it's definitely the lowest cost fiber available. And what you saw in the last uh, 15 years is a investment from the Western Canadian sawmillers in the U.S. South. I mean, if you take a look at what Canfor and West Fraser, Tokel's in the game now, Interfor's in the game. Yeah, they all moved down there. Yeah, They all moved down there because they're sawmillers. They right. go to, they're like fishermen. 
If there's no fish in your pond, go you go fish in your neighbor's pond, right? Go where the and, fish are. So, um, and there's been articles recently about the cost of logs in the Southeast, why they're not going up with the price of lumber. And it's because the conversion capacity, meaning take a log, slice it up so it turns into dollars. You, they just don't have that, but it's coming on. Um, read an article today, Beaver Lumber just broke ground on a new sawmill in Mississippi. Um, I don't know all of them, but I, there are many or several new sawmills. Uh, well, um, Binderholtz is ramping up the Klausner sawmill in North Florida. They have plans to ramp up the one they just bought in South Carolina. So the production's coming back. It's just, I, and not even coming back, it's going to grow. It's going to grow, yeah. So, yeah, this is pretty crazy. So um, let's talk about some of the crazy things that we're seeing now because of the supply chain shortage. Now we yep. talked a little bit um, in that Bloomberg article and stuff, we're actually seeing supply go moving backwards through the supply yes. chain. Correct. Now this is incredible. This is something that I had never heard of. And when I read that article, it just like, I mean, I, I, I sat around and thought about it for like a while. I'm like, man, this is insane to think that, you know, that this is happening. So let our viewers know what, what's going on there. What happened? All right, I like to call it the eBay effect. The eBay effect, okay. And why I call it this is because one, after eBay came onto the scene, right, a friend of mine went uh, to a store that was some liquidating some, uh, I think they were sweatshirts or something. And he bought the sweatshirts from a retailer and sold them on eBay at, for a profit. <laughs> why did he, what, what was going on that he was able to do that? It was just a dislocation of the supply and the demand. But eBay, in its digital market wonderfulness, allowed him to do that, right? It, when you efficiently connect up the factors in the market through a digital marketplace, you have these opportunities. So that's what's going on in the lumber market right now. Materials Exchange has simply opened up opportunities for buyers and sellers to get together without having the personal relationship that is traditionally required. And it unlocks demand or it unlocks supply that currently that previously couldn't meet that demand because they didn't know about each other. Right. So the digital market has turned every lumber dealer or anyone that inventories lumber into a distribution point. Mm -hmm. So while you okay. say, oh, it, you know, it flowed uphill or, you know, went against the grain, I'm going to disagree. I'm going to say that instead of a supply chain now, we have a supply field. Yeah, it's like a supply web. A web. That's even better. A, a web of supply. Yeah, I get it. Okay, I get it now. I, I understand. And it, it took it took that article and a little bit of here. Okay. Now, something very similar to this happened because I was talking about this. I was talking about doing this video with some of the guys. And I said, yeah, there's supply chain moving back up. And the lead salesman said, yeah, that almost happened here. And I was like, what? And he was just like, yeah, we, when the price had dropped back in November, we had picked up 104 studs and nailed the timing on it. And we had a bunch of them. And then of course, prices were going up and things were slowing. And so we had a stack of these things. Well, the guys that we had purchased them from were out. They were looking for them and we had them and they were offering us a profit to send them back to them. Yep. And we ended up holding on to them because we, we sold them, you know, but we, yeah, we had that opportunity to actually send those things back up. Yeah. Line. 
right. to, so two, uh, to need, right. so. two things have to happen. The market has to be moving very quickly and the web, I'm, I'm, I'm going to use that by the way. Now the web has to be in place Yeah. because if absent of either of those, you're never going to have it happen. Mm-hmm. If the market's stagnant, you're not good. You're going to sell your product to your traditional customer who's paying you for your service, which is take in big bundles, undo them, put them into small job packs and send them out if you're a lumber dealer, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but now all of a sudden, crazy things are going, markets moving around, and you have this opportunity that you never had before. Mm-hmm. Now, there's a third factor in here, which I find really fascinating. And it's the dysfunctional way that our industry prices at the wholesale level in certain circumstances, which is price time of shipment based off of a reported price. So, you know, we all know that there are companies out there that will report what they see the market price as third party independent. They do exactly what they say they're going to do with a high level of integrity. I like that those reporting services a lot. But then we, we, as our other industry participants to say, for reasons, and you know, we all have our opinions why they do that, but they don't want to have the burden of actually deciding what the price is. So they put a contract and they say, you know, I'm a supplier, you're a, you know, I'm supply your demand. The price is going to be decided by this third party. Well, what if that third party isn't accurately reflecting the conditions that are happening at my region or where I'm at? Basically, what I'm saying is there are people out there who are buying significantly under what is now accessible as a selling market to them. Mm. You buy on contract based off of what a report says. It comes in 20, 25% under where you could flip that truck that week. Mm. Why wouldn't you do that? Sure. Now, what what's fascinating to me is that that real market isn't being picked up in some sort of report and being shown. And that's actually what materials exchange will be doing very soon. As our volume of transactions pick up, we're going to start reporting the prices that happen on our platform, which as you know, we can decide if it's true or not in this conversation, those are the prices happening on the web, which is reality in my opinion. Yeah. As opposed to the prices that are happening direct from a mill. Right. Because these are now people like interchanging with each other on it instead of like going to some, yeah, I totally get it. I agree. I right. agree. So, you know, you go to a mill and the mill's like, well, I've got eight weeks of order file. Right. Okay. Does that mean that you're the market? I don't know. You're the eight week market. I'm a lumber dealer and I've got an extra truck of OSB. How about I go to the market right now? Right. What's the market? Right. Totally. Is it, a, is it an eight-week market? Is it a one-week market? Dude, you're, I love this. I, you, this is brilliant. I love this. I mean, I love the whole market ex- material exchange idea, man. This is I, it's wonderful. So I, I, can, I can give you perspective of how we got the, the genesis of our idea and what the digital market solves. So 10 years ago, I uh, was the first guy, no, geez, it's 21, 12 years ago. 
2009, I was the first guy to walk onto the trading floor with a computer. And when I say the trading floor, this is the Chicago Mercantile Exchange. Um, actually, we can back up. Let's back up. Year 2000. In Chicago, we had two major exchanges and eight, four trading, no, eight trading floors. There were probably 10,000 people that worked on these trading floors. And you could have one pit, like the S&P 500 pit. There would be different prices for the same exact product all over that pit. Now, they very efficiently traded the, um, you know, that futures contract. And they did millions of contracts a day in that pit, which was nothing short of remarkable, mm. but it wasn't perfect and pure. Meaning there wasn't just one price happening at all the time. There were, you know, some prices over there, some prices over there. And I, another friend of mine, he used to stand in the middle and he would arbitrage. He'd hear it's low over here. He'd buy it over here and sell it over there or sell it over here and buy it over there real quick. It, when it went digital, that whole opportunity as a floor trader went away because while the computer screen looks pretty chaotic and the prices are moving around really quickly on there, there is only one price at every instant in time. Yeah. So I hope I didn't lose you too much on that. No, I think I, I think I followed it, you know. It's, it's no different than let's, you know, talk about if there's 10 lumber dealers in a city, right? There's going to be different prices kind of all around that city for two by four, one four and five, eight studs. Yep. And if there was basically one lumber dealer or one central clearing house, there probably would be one price for that stud around the city. Right. Um, so yeah, uh, yeah, that's, that's basically how the digital market sure. makes things more efficient. But what I love about it is that it opens up the opportunities for people to sell and take advantage of a market move that they have experienced. Totally get it, man. Well, you know, I, uh, I'm not sure what else to try and pick your brain for, man, because there is so much that you have already filled us up with here. Um, you know, I guess like, you know, what do you think, like, if I was to ask you one more question about, like, the futures market and stuff, we're trading at 14.14 per thousand, and I was noticing the open interest contracts, if that, can you explain that? Like, I saw them, like, two weeks ago at, like, 1400 and now it's at, like, 800. What's going on there? Um, well, I think what you're looking at is what they call the front month futures. Okay. So that's the May futures contract, which is going to expire on May 15th. So the, the reason it's called a futures contract is it is a contract for a future delivery. Now, come May 15th, it's no longer going to be a futures contract. It's going to be a real contract. Someone's going to buy wood. Someone's going to sell wood. So what happens is the number of the open interest that people participating in that month they exit their positions. They do that by, you know, rolling it to another month. So if you're long a May futures, you would sell your May futures and buy a July if you want to stay in the market or you just sell your contract outright. So that's, that's why I think what you're seeing is the front month contract, uh, the number of people participating in it starts to shrink. And then it grows in the second month. But I do believe that the overall 
number of contracts in all of the expirations. Uh, you know, you have March, or I'm sorry, May, July, August, uh, September, November. I think it's going down slightly, but not not too much. Okay. I was just curious about that because I was watching and, you know, some of these things that I'm not quite aware of what's taking right. place. No, I, I worry about that when I send out. My tech guy didn't turn off his mic, so, <laughs> you know, we got him kind of interrupting us a little bit there. I wonder if we, can we, you think we can mute him? Um, I don't know. Can we get him out of there? I'm not sure because he's hosting. Yeah, he's the host. Um, that's all right. This is a, it's a nice informal but, discussion, right? Yeah, you know, and that's, that's kind of the uneducated economist style anyway. So, you know, that's cool. So, you know, I, here, let's, uh, let's just revisit what it really means yeah. though to uh, sell on, on materials exchange or a digital yeah. market. And, yeah, um, you know, there's, there's some really cool things about it. And, um, then there's also the prices that you're going to get are not reflective of the service that your business is probably designed to um, provide. So a cool thing is you get paid right away. Like we pay um, 24 hours after the truck delivers to the end, whoever the, uh, the counterparty is, which is great, but you're not gonna get paid for building a job pack, right? So the, the prices that you get are more reflective of wholesale distribution prices or even mill direct price. Um, so, you know, one of the disappointing things could be, oh, you know, I, I sold a bunch of trucks, um, made all this money. Now I need to go back in the market. When you go back to the market, you have to pay more for them. But. Uh, right. But it is, but it's still, this is like, you know, I mean, I just love the way this works because like nobody knows like a lumber yard, you know, there's nobody there's no information, like, unless you call the lumberyard and say, hey, how much you got? I mean, there's no way of telling, like, how much a lumberyard has on hand. Right, But there's right. a way that a lumberyard that says, oh, man, like, if they happen to have, like, been in a panic buy, like, you know, it's just like, oh, no, you're not going to get any OSB. And they just load it up on OSB, but now you can get CDX cheaper. And the OSB seems to be sitting, but you found somebody out there who does want to buy OSB. This is given that way of like all of a sudden making that transfer starting to take place. And Absolutely. we've never had this before. I mean, I'm just like, my mind's still trying to wrap around like what this could look like as it grows and more people are involved in it. Oh, yeah. I mean, this is amazing. This is an right. amazing way. Like you don't even really need to be like, ultimately you just need to be a guy with land and a lot of money and you can make this happen, right? I mean, you can buy Absolutely. and sell rubble right off of and not even just be a distributor in the middle of nowhere. Right. We, yeah. It lowers the barrier to entry. It yeah. lowers it to almost zero for the selling side. It's a digital interface. You pull it up. That's the bid. Do you want to sell at that price? Yeah. You click sell. You're done. Done. So it's, it's just, it's very similar to what happened in the financial markets when they went electronic, you know, prior, to, let's say back in the eighties, if you wanted to go buy, you know, a thousand shares of Ford, you had to have a stockbroker and, you know, you basically had to sit down in the special office at the bank and get your money moved over. Like now yeah. pull out your Robin Hood. Boom. Yeah. Gone. Done. And well, that, that's, that, that's what we're doing. I mean, that's the beauty of it. Amazing, Mike. If um, I got to cut the video down now because I got to get going, man. But I just love this conversation. This was brilliant. If uh, somebody wanted to get a hold of you, how did they get a hold of Mike and the Material Exchange? You know, the, the best thing to do is go to our website, materialsexchange.com, and register there. Then your information is going to go to the, the proper people. Um, you can reach out to me, Mike W. at Materials Exchange. Uh, you know, I'm on LinkedIn. The way I look at it, if you can't figure out how to get in touch with me, 
in the year 2021. Uh, you know, maybe the digital market's not for you, man. <laughs> that's, that's it, man. That's so true. And it's, well, I, you know, I hate to say it, but that's you know, down in the description. So. Yeah, not a problem. Um, I think we should uh, talk again in like six months and or yeah. or four months and see you know what what's going on. Um, oh, I love that, Mike. That would that would just be great. I know uh, I know this is going to be a really popular video with viewers out there. So yeah, I know they would love to hear an update on how um, materials exchange is growing and and what they're doing. And yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited to, uh, yeah. to see what, what things go I, like this. I can leave one little nugget of gold that uh, yeah. I've experienced in in my you know I've been in the lumber industry for almost thirty years. Uh, no, twenty seven years. Um, and this is no fault of the suppliers, but when markets move like this and order files start to extend, no supplier sells 100% of their production because they need to leave a little bit of leeway in there in case things go wrong because they always want to do the right thing. They want to ship on time. When markets start to turn, order files come in very a lot quicker. And then we, you know, people are still buying under contract and based off of a reported price. Well, if all of a sudden that reported price doesn't look so hot anymore, maybe they don't need more inventory, they cancel their contracts, that contract wood goes back to open market and it becomes, the, su the supply grows exponentially. Right. So all of a sudden, the little bit of inventory that the mill has left over is all of a sudden a lot of inventory because these files, these orders that have been placed are now pretty much non-existent. Yep. So all that sold wood is not really sold then. Right. At, at exactly. that point. Wow. So, um, you know, it's <laughs> the market's fooled. Takes money. I got to think about it for a minute. <laughs> no, no. The, the market's fooled me a couple times already on this move. But boy, I mean, I, it's it's a hard time to think this is where you want a yard full of lumber at. Right. Um, it's, I don't know. It, uh, I think the next three months, this this quarter two of 2021 is going to be some interesting times. And, you know, what, what's fun is we at Materials Exchange, we see this like real time right in front of us, these orders coming in and transactions happening. Um, so that's, if you want a front row seat, get on Materials Exchange and you will see the, the front row of what's going on in the market. So, awesome. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you for your time. I really appreciate it. No Uneducated problem, man. You guys let me know. Any last words, Mike, at all? Uh, go Cubs. Go Cubs. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> all right, buddy. You have a great afternoon. All right, take care.